Welcome to Change Oracle, a science-based podcast that addresses some of the world's most pressing environmental issues. I'm your host, Richard Matthews. The recent Conference of the Parties is being hailed as both a historic success and an epic failure. So who really won the fossil fuel war at COP28? The global agreement to phase down fossil fuels was heralded by the United Nations as the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era. While critics expressed disappointment that there was no mention of a phase-out, peak emissions, or capping investment. While the deal fell far short of the fossil fuel phase-out that many were calling for, we came perilously close to getting nothing at all. Early drafts excluded any mention of fossil fuels and subsequent drafts provided no timelines for the phase-down beyond achieving net zero around 2050. And over time, the language of the final draft was adjusted to include a fossil fuel phase-down this decade and net zero by mid-century. The powerful cabal of petrostates and oil interests in control of COP28 precluded the possibility of a phase-out in the final agreement. The details of their cynical scheme first emerged in 2022 and were confirmed late last summer when The Guardian published a leaked communications plan. It's now clear that the Climate Conference president and the COP28 host country hatched an elaborate plan to position carbon capture as a pretext to continue extracting hydrocarbons. They also invested millions of dollars in greenwashing campaigns that were intended to skew the narrative in favor of the fossil fuel industry. The plan that was put in motion at COP28 leveraged the fossil fuel industry's considerable control over the COP process. Hundreds of carbon capture advocates at COP28 amplified that control. These advocates were everywhere, from high-level meetings to small side events. As reported by The Guardian, an analysis by the Center for Environmental Law concluded that at least 475 carbon capture lobbyists attended COP28. That's in addition to almost 2,500 fossil fuel lobbyists at this year's climate conference. Lily Fur, the director of Ciel's Fossil Economy Program, correctly predicted that this army of advocates could blow a giant loophole in the COP28 final agreement. As the conference came to an end, Anne Rasmussen, the lead negotiator for the group of 39 small developing island nations, AOASIS, took to the microphone to say that the final draft agreement includes a litany of loopholes. Phasing out fossil fuels is the most important single step we can take to address the climate crisis. There is overwhelming scientific evidence that we need to phase out all fossil fuels as rapidly as possible, said Ploy Achillerwet, a research fellow at the Stockholm Environment Institute and co-author of the UN Production Gap Report. Despite the clear scientific consensus calling for immediate emissions reductions, the language in the COP28 agreement is vague and leaves lots of wiggle room. Under the deal, each nation can choose its own path, and for some, this includes ramping up fossil fuels with the promise of technological carbon removal at some point in the future. This is a critically dangerous loophole. Reliance on carbon capture and CO2 removal will not enable us to achieve the goals laid out in the Paris Agreement. At the Production Gap Report event, Neil Grant emphasized this point, saying, Carbon capture technologies do
do not replicate the need for rapid and permanent reduction of fossil fuels, and therefore really can't be used as a justification for continued expansion of fossil fuel extraction. The science is clear. Reducing and ultimately eliminating our reliance on fossil fuels is the only way we can keep the 1.5 degree targets alive. The fossil fuel emissions we currently see have to go down to zero, said Four, adding, the principle should be real zero and not just offsetting future speculative emissions. Petrostates succeeded in eliminating calls for a phase-out in favor of a phase-down of unabated fuels, i.e. without carbon capture, which has been described as putting a band-aid on a bullet wound. The COP28 final agreement specifically referred to the abatement and removal of carbon emissions using carbon capture and storage, CCS, and carbon dioxide removal, CDR, technologies. Although almost all decarbonization scenarios involve abatement of CO2, the call to accelerate abatement and removal technologies was originally meant to apply to hard-to-abate sectors like cement and steel production. Its utility in the fossil fuel sector is premised on the phase-down and ultimately a phase-out of hydrocarbon productions. As reported by Blad Prummer in the New York Times, negotiators anticipated the outcome when they expressed concern that the fossil fuel companies would seize on the language to continue emitting at high rates while promising to capture the emissions later. At the 11th hour, the Russian delegation, with support from other petrostates, succeeded in introducing another giant loophole into the agreement. The sneaky inclusion of the words transitional fuels into the final draft embraces natural gas as a means of ensuring energy security. As reported by Climate Change News, Diane Black Lynn from Antigua and Barbuda reminded delegates at the closing meeting at COP28 that coal, oil, and gas are all fossil fuels. She called transitional fuel a dangerous loophole and she urged countries to transition away from them. The fossil fuel industry stands to massively profit from its control of much of the existing technological carbon capture infrastructure. This includes most of the 44 operating CCS facilities and many of the 27 direct air capture plants. They also have a stake in many of the 130 DAC facilities in various stages of planning in the U.S and around the world. In the U.S. alone, six of the 21 DAC development projects that have been approved for funding are owned by the fossil fuel industry. Carbon capture is a lucrative opportunity that benefits the fossil fuel industry in several ways. They get taxpayer dollars to extract carbon, and then they profit from the sale of the carbon they extract, carbon credits, most importantly, they get a social license to keep their core business alive. They also use the captured carbon to extract more oil and gas through a process known as Enhanced Oil Recovery, or EOR. In the half century since this process has been developed, it has produced tens of billions of barrels of oil, which have released billions of tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. The fossil fuel industry's positioning of technologies that capture or remove carbon is a colossal scam. 
At COP28, they managed to switch the focus from planning from phasing out fossil fuels to phasing down unabated fossil fuels. And this seemingly minor shift in language has massive implications. The industry claims to be part of efforts to address the climate crisis when they have known that they are its root cause for decades. They are inferring that they can remove emissions from the extraction and refining of oil, gas, and coal. They are not talking about the bulk of emissions that are generated when hydrocarbons are burned, scope 3 emissions. Yet they know full well that they cannot come close to capturing all of their own emissions, let alone scope 3 emissions. Even in the very unlikely event that they were to achieve the impossible and install CCS facilities on all the fossil fuel extraction and refinement infrastructure, this would not allow them to address the far larger problems of scope 3 emissions, which, as I said, is where the vast majority of emissions are generated. In a Wired article, Jonathan Foley, the executive director of Project Drawdown, succinctly summarized the sentiment of many when he said, the fossil fuel industry is using carbon capture as a public relations stunt. Rachel Cletus, the climate and energy policy director at the Union of Concerned Scientists, reviewed Big Oil's empty rhetoric at COP28. Fossil fuel and narrow political interests are choosing to obfuscate and water down the text being negotiated for the final COP28 agreement. Despite the clarity science brings to the necessity of a phase-out, the reality is that CCS, CCUS, cannot contribute meaningfully to emissions reduction in this critical decade, Cletus said, adding, the core unavoidable task remains making deep, direct cuts in fossil fuel use. There are no escape hatches. The world is yet again being played by the fossil fuel industry. This is another installment of hydrocarbon's long history of deception and disinformation. Their self-serving efforts to justify pumping more oil and gas is a ruse, plain and simple. Fossil fuel companies are embracing technologies that remove CO2 to extend the life of the hydrocarbon economy. It offers them what Fuhr describes as an easy way out to cover up business as usual and even expand production. Although the outcome is far from what many were calling for, COP28 was not a complete failure. Whilst we didn't turn the page on the fossil fuel era in Dubai, this outcome is the beginning of the end, said UN Climate Change Executive Director Simon Steele. Now, all governments and businesses need to turn these pledges into real economy outcomes, and they need to do this without delay. The actions taken in the coming years will dictate whether COP28 can be deemed a success. While CCS and CDR are necessary parts of a suite of climate action, abatement efforts and talk of transitional fuels cannot take the place of phasing out coal, oil, and gas. We have taken the first step in the right direction, but we must do more. We must also be ready to counter powerful energy interests as they will continue to use their tremendous wealth and influence to waylay progress. That wraps up another episode. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Change Oracle podcast. I hope you found it interesting, and if you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to share your comments. For a more detailed look at these and other topics, go to changeoracle.com. This is Richard Matthews signing off. Till the next time.